Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Hey, love. You look so fresh today. I have been refreshed. Wow. In what way? I had a... A, a peach. You know, so I, a so peach. I you had a peach. You know, I practice Buddhism... Uh, the SGI Buddhism, and it brings me light from within. That's what you're seeing. I have light from actually within too, but that came with my um, from my proctologist. Different light, but it was still light from within. I heard today's in the same show. To tell you, well, do you know why I'm so excited today? Yes, but you can tell we everyone else. We have a giant name a rock star in the food world on with us today if you watch the great baking shows and you are inspired and they get you in the kitchen and they get you cooking and baking and they get you in with your family and you get this revived and reinvigorated and 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 re-inspired approach for food well a lot of people have done that you're not alone a lot of people love these shows and a lot of people are rediscovering traditions of family baking and I know that you're big into baking because your beautiful wife was part of and is part of the baking world on television. And in the last five years, we have been treated to cupcakes and cookies and all kinds of goodies. But oh, the- you know what I learned? You know what I learned? What? You, you can't bake on the patio when it's raining. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah. Will you I learned, I, well, because everything gets wet. It's an, it's an awkward thing. But you can pay for mache. Right. Okay. Not when it's raining. Well, it keeps the, it gets the flour away. Yeah. You know, or we you know, make Play-Doh. We have got Chef Bruno Feldison, one of the star judges from the Great Canadian Baking Show, calling in to join us today from paradise. When I tell you he's in paradise, well, trust he's me. he's in paradise. He is in the Pacific Northwest at the beautiful resort where he is executive chef. And if you wanted to get in your car and go to one of the great and legendary relaxation spots in the Northwest, where this time of year, it is truly paradise. It is made even more deliciously so by him and his team pulling out all the stops. When you have somebody as extraordinary as Chef Bruno at the helm of a resort, you know it's going to be more than just a great sleep and a great place to stay. He joins us now from truly paradise. Welcome, Bruno. How are you, Chef? Well, thank you for having me. I'm doing well today. It's a bit chilly in uh, where I am, and uh, I heard it's quite hot in a southern part of the U.S., but here it's about uh, 17 degrees today and quite cloudy and a lot of rains yesterday. So it's, that's my kind of paradise. Well, let's tell everybody about where you are in that sort of 
gentle border area on the Pacific Northwest coast of North America, where Canada meets the U.S., and so where you have a little bit of a significant influence in both places. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to live in both countries. You know, I'm a U.S. Yeah. citizen. I'm a Canadian citizen. So I am. Um, <clears throat> I was hired a couple of years back uh, for this beautiful little resource, probably as the last piece of land in the U.S. called the Sumiamu Resorts. Uh, but I'd like to point out, you know, I left a few months ago to work on a new project. Huh? Ah. <clears throat> yeah, so, so I'm not there anymore. But it's beautiful. You know, people call it God's country. Yeah. Uh, and for me, you know, I used to live in California in uh, Carmel Monterey. That's very rich in fishing and, uh, you know, the land, it's, it's great. And a, and, a, and a huge production of wine and a culinary tradition. And I think Washington State is very close, you know, in terms of quality of product, cooking, produce, farmland, and wine. Um, so that's what I like about it. You know, it reminded me a little of Napa Valley, of, uh, yeah. you know, Carmel Monterey. It's, uh, you know, you feel very connected to, uh, to the lands. And, and the um, seasons. And the seasons, too. And, you know, Washington State has an amazing... Uh, quality of producers. Uh, it's probably number two or three st states in the U.S., uh, you know. Uh, so it's just reminding me so much of Napa Valley and Central yeah. Coast California that I just fell in love with it. And, uh, and just the product, you know. I mean, I remember we used to get oysters. You know, you need, as a chef, you, you keep the ta oyster tags when you get deliver deliveries. And uh, we used to get oyster tags and says, harvested at 9.30 in the morning, and deliver the same day at uh, 11 o'clock, you know, and that you cannot get it if you're in San Francisco, in New York, doesn't matter how many stars your restaurant have, you just cannot get it. And working there, I think was very inspiring. You know, you can meet your, uh, your farmer for coffee in the morning and tell him what you need and it's delivered in the afternoon or the day after. So it's, it very, um, it's, it's very rich. And it's got one of the most robust agricultural richnesses there is anywhere in the States right now. Yeah. And people yeah. are flocking there and opening up greenhouses and growing berries. And this is in addition to the marvelous grapes that are grown in the wine producing regions of Washington mm -hmm. State, as well as, you know, the apples and the stone fruits and the other. It's really it's one of the underappreciated assets that we have in the culinary world. And of course, then we think about Vancouver and we think about the Pacific Northwest influence of all of that beautiful seafood. Uh, really, it's, it's truly the best of both worlds. And you're so right. When you were mentioning the central coast of California, I was thinking of places like Monterey Bay uh, or, or that is so spot on. They just have this feeling of, I want to say it's almost like an ancient land. It's almost primordial. And it really reminds you of our human roots. It takes yeah, away uh, all of the borders in a sense. Did you mm -hmm. find that in your inspirations and your own cooking that such a borderless place really let you be in the place and, and celebrate <clears throat> in a slightly different way than when you go to a place like New York and you have to do New York food or you go to a place and you have to no, do that think, food very specifically? <clears throat> I think it's more like, you know, people always ask me, why did you leave France? You know, because, you know, life is good there. You make a good income. And I always say, you know, it's, it's a great place to cook. It's, it's an amazing in terms of culture, but it's a, it's a small place. It's a small right. country. And from there, you get small-minded people. And I always believe oh, the state. Yeah, and I always believe the states have, you know, open space, open mind. That's the way I say things. 
Um, you know, wine in France is, is for the elite. If you are not educated, people think you are an idiot. But wine. And I remember I moved to the state when I was 23 and I live in Carmel Monterey. And the first winery I went to visit was uh, Chalon Vineyard. And ah. I was like surprised, like, you know, it's, the wine is for everybody to be enjoyed. There is no elitist elitism around it. And I just felt like, you know, that's a way to embrace food and cooking uh, and, yeah. and wine because it's, it's for the masses. It's for everybody. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, what, I rem- what, what a glorious place to have an introduction with yeah, Dick yeah, Soler at the time. <clears throat> And I remember, I remember Ahmed, the yeah. winemaker, you know, I mean, he passed away a few years after in a, in a plane crash. But the whole, you know, Shalom for me was a, an eye-opening that you can make great wines, like world-class wine, and everybody's so gentle and humble, and I couldn't believe it, you know. If you, go, if you do the same in France, it's totally a different experience. You know, you, you, know, you go visit a champagne house, and they keep telling you how good they are. They are the best in the world. And they price themselves. You know, it's it's not my way. Food has to be enjoyed by everybody. You know? So it's like talking to Jennifer about her radio career. <clears throat> that she's the best. Oh. Nobody's. I'm just asking, Jennifer. I like to I like to bring the <laughs> listeners and the viewers in to understand, right? So, so I think the states or North America give me gave me the ability to 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 have an open mind about everything. You know, so so I don't see borders. I don't see you know. Uh, immigra- immigration is good, you know. People m- yeah. moving from other places is good because it just enrich everything around you. you know? well, I mean, Carmel, I, I, in the Carmel area, in the Monterey area, well, the central coast of California, I think. It's I mean, you go to right? Salinas, you know. It's if <clears throat> if there was yeah. no immigrants to take care of the land, there would be no yeah. food on your table. No, it's yeah. the most Jennifer. It's got that is truly God's country. That is the most yeah. beautiful. You could go. It's so fun to be with among the among the pine cone trees and the ocean right there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We I actually guess. we were going to carry Simon and I were about to open a restaurant prior to him getting ill. Um, we were going to take over the Quail Lodge. Are you familiar mm-hmm. where Quail Lodge was? And uh, beautiful, right next door was this beautiful place where you could get all kinds of fresh vegetables and fresh things. So we spent some time up there, and evidently Zorro out of Mech El Zorro mm-hmm. spent time up there up in Monterey. Right, yeah. I didn't know. Right, and and you go to where like I think you can go to where he was hung or something. Like there's some crazy stories up there, and there's all kinds of ghost houses, Jennifer. You would love it. Perfect. It's right on my own. There's it a restaurant. Sense. No, my friend owns a restaurant, and he says haunted, and he sees people in no, the mirror. No, that's true. That's true. Northern California is very rich with that kind of stuff. Chef, let's talk a little bit about um, your uh, judging on the Great Canadian Baking Show and how that came to be a part of how we've all, um, many of us have come to, to know you and, and grow uh, so, attached to how you approach uh, the way you do what you do on the show. Because I so, absolutely so, love mm. the way you do it. So, you know, you, you grow into the role. So, you know, season one, you know, it's, it's almost like an accident for me. <clears throat> yeah. I wasn't looking to do a cooking show. You know, I've done a few, you know, Food Network show like, Chop Canada, and yeah. but I wasn't really looking for it. And then when I get the call, you know, they say, "Oh, come to Toronto for an interview." And I flew to Toronto, show up at the studios, and there is thirty guys applying for the job. And I look around, I'm like, "What a fucking waste of time." That's why I told myself, <clears throat> you know, there was guy, blue eyes, six foot two, tattoos, hipsters. I mean, you name it. And I was there, you know. I mean, I'm past my uh, my fifties, and I'm <clears throat> maybe I was forty nine at that time. And I'm like, you know, 
It's a fucking waste of time. It's n they're never going to hire me. But there is something more than just visual. It's your ability to talk to people, your ability to inspire, your ability to make people feel good. And about the show, what we have, we don't, it's not a, a show that we, we are demeaning people. You know, we are very yeah. respectful of the bakers. Yeah. I mean, they do put a lot of energy and time for that matter. Yeah. So we have, you know, the biggest amount of respect for them. You know, and, you, mm -hmm. and you're a wonderful teacher. And I think yeah, one I mean, of the compliments I have to pay you is that through the course of telling people what you're seeing, what you're tasting, what you're evaluating, not only are you teaching the, the competitors about how to um, raise the quality of their, their, their game, but you're teaching all of us how to enjoy everything we eat and everywhere we go in our lives by thinking of foods the way you're teaching us how to evaluate things. You, you, you're not teaching us to be critical for the sake of being, you know, bitchy. Yeah. You're really helping us enjoy things more. And, you know, people, you know, sometimes it's about self-confidence too. Right, right. And, you know, we try food and you can feel the bakers are not confident enough, you know, because they made a small mistake. And people are, you know, in general, people are so uh, self-centered into a recipe. And I always say the recipe is not that important because, you know, it's like a book. Everybody can get their own opinion and interpretation. And it's really how you, you sell your product to your audience, be, meaning your family, your friends, people in your office. You know, it's, you know, nothing, nothing has to be perfect. Perfection does not exist in cooking. It's how you introduce it and present it. And I always tell the bakers, you know, I say, look, you know, if you made a mistake, I don't need to know about it. You know, I mean, unless you burn it or unless you make a mistake switching sugar and salt, I'm not going to see it. But it's up to you to tell me that story behind the recipe. And you can spin it in a very positive way. And then from there, you know, I can take it over and make it even better for you. But often it's the lack of self-confidence. And baking, you know, it's chemistry. So people are more into, you know, if I make that mistake, if I make 47 grams instead of 45, I'm like, it doesn't matter. You know, if, if it's 250 or 270, it's going to work. <clears throat> you know, I don't believe in those recipes where you have to be perfection. You know, baking, pastry, you can deviate a little, and sometimes you can make a mistake, and it's still tasty, it's still good. So, um, but my role is really to, you know, of course, we send people home every week, and that's the sad part. But I told them from day one, I say, you know, it does not matter if you win. It does not matter if you live on the first episode. What's very important, and I remind them every episode, it's you are given space and time that's very unique that you're not going to get it again next year. Make the best of it, enjoy it, have an amazing time, because it's a, it's, it's a very unique experience for everybody, for that matter. We love to watch, because we Thank love you. to imagine ourselves in those scenarios. You inspire us to aspire to be those competitors. Many mm -hmm. of us have gone into our own kitchens. Many of us have taken up and rediscovered baking, and certainly during COVID, even yeah, reviewing been... past episodes has been very inspiring for people. And many people are doing things like, as we've all seen on social media, making a sourdough bread or baking cookies or making loaf breads. Would you talk a little bit about the satisfaction that we derive from the act of cooking and baking as so, a professional? You know, yeah, so I do interested. both. You know, I love making, I love baking and doing pastry. I love cooking too, because it's a different approach to it. You know, I think cooking at the, it's at the core, it's about surviving. You go fish, you go hunt, you go harvest, and you cook something to survive. 
that's the yeah. core of it. <clears throat> then you expand into restaurant and experience, but that's you know. But at the beginning, beginning of civilization, people will hunt for fish, uh, hunt for uh, for animals to survive. Baking is different. You don't bake a cake to survive. Baking and making cakes is to share for a celebration, for birthday, for friends, for somebody leaving, somebody coming. It's all about celebration. And mm-hmm. in terms of COVID, you know, we all got very stressed and, um, you know, it's, it was a lot of unknown. And I think the ability to make bread just help you reconnect with your ability to, to take control of what's happening. You know, we, uh, I think over the years, we gave away our right about food and access to food to, to big corporations. You know, yeah. uh, when I grew up, my first job was to go pick up food every day to eat. You know, we give up that right. We buy food frozen, processed, because we don't want to bother to go shop every day. You know, um, you know, it's better people go more toward, you know, a uh, farmer's market, but not every small town has a farmer's market, for, you know. So the vast majority of people give up the right to access to good food. What they do is they compromise and go to fast food, processed food, and that's what's happening. I think in terms, you know, I think the whole world was shaken up by this whole COVID-19 experience. And to start to bake, to start to cook, to start to make desserts, give them the control of, you know, maybe I can make my own bread and survive. Maybe I can feed my family that way. I don't need to rely to a store where there might be no bread on the shelves. Now I can make it. And bread, you know, it's a food of many civilizations. European from from Asia, you know, there is that piece of, you know, of texture you can you can tear and give away to somebody. So bread is a basic food for everybody. So I think, and I, looking at Instagram, some of the bread I saw, I was like, so I, I was impressed, you know, to yeah. a point. I, I'm not, I'm not going to put my bread because it's going to look like idiots next to those pieces, and I'm like, how people can make bread like this, and you know. So well, Jennifer, um, I, I'm going to say this, chef. I was. I was at one of our mutual friends' homes here in Las uh-huh. Vegas, and, and mm-hmm. you probably you probably will know who I'm speaking of. She's her husband's a chef as, as a chef, and she's a great restaurateur. And you wouldn't know her as a as a as a chef or even a cook, right? Mm-hmm. But she she went sourdough crazy. Elizabeth Blau. Elizabeth went sourdough crazy, and one day I went over there, and she might have had. 200 sourdough bagels that she was making. A lot, I mean, there was just sourdough, she made sourdough coffee cakes. Sourdough, it was just incredible. And I was like, what is, I mean, this is beautiful. And, uh, and as she still goes, now she's, I think she's in Cape Cod, but I still yeah. see but, you some know, stuff. <clears throat> I think, you know, so in Europe, sourdough is not that big. Right. Definitely not in France. And I think in North America, there is, a, it's like a mystic form of make, bread making. The yeah. old sourdough, huh. you know, feeding feeding your starter. And sometimes I have a hard time to, uh, because I'm like, well, it's just bread. You know, you mix right. flour, water, and yeast, and a little salt, tiny amount of sugar, and it works. What's a big deal, you know? <laughs> but I think people want to, to, to create. To, it's magic. It's yeah, magic, right? I mean, You're like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm taking this special stuff, and I'm <clears throat> adding this post to the potion. You know, it's and 200 I, years old. And I think it's beautiful because it creates a narrative of we can create. Things can, make, can be better. We don't need to survive on Wonder Bread, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'll tell you a funny story. When I was in France, I have to go to the uh, French army for two years. And I was stationed in Germany. 
And my biggest pleasure was to go to the US base to buy Wonder Bread. Because yeah, we don't have how funny. <clears throat> because I thought it was the best bread I could have when right. I was 19 years old, because we don't have that kind of bread in France, you know. In France, the bread becomes stale after four hours because you know bakery bakes the bread twice a day. You buy bread for lunch, and often you go back for dinner to buy more bread. So seeing a bread that will last and stay soft and chewy for days or weeks, for that matter, you know, I was fascinated by it. And we used to make sandwich. You know, you don't need to chew. You just, you know, it just melts in your mouth. But you know, I don't buy it now because <clears throat> my my, uh, my interest is not into that kind of bread. But you know, I came to the U.S. in eighty eighty eight, and my first taste of a bakery, you know, that blows my mind was a bakery in New York called Eche Panis, mm -hmm. and they had these sour chocolate sourdough focaccia with uh, sour cherries, and I was mm -hmm. like, my God, you know, people know how to bake bread in the U.S. You know, and from there, I realized slowly, you know, I mean, everywhere there is great bread. Uh, I actually I I kind of believe there is better food and bread in the U.S. or Canada than we have in Europe today. Wow. Uh, you know, because it's all based in economics, too. You know, people say, right. oh, in New York, there are so many great restaurants. Well, you know, there is so much money to be spent. Of course, they can sustain and support so many good restaurants. You know, in France, it's different. You know, again, you know, they, they sell themselves as the elite and, you know, those fancy restaurants, if you don't have the right jacket, you cannot sit in. If you show up eight people, they're going to divide you into two tables of four. So they, or, you have, you know, or you have the Tour d'Argent <coughs> that's been there for 200, 300 years. Yeah. And, you know, frankly, I, had, you know, I don't want to spend 200 euros on average meal because I've been there many times and I always end up disappointed, no matter, no matter the name of the restaurant. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. I remember going to a famous place in Lyon, spent a fortune and, you know, my, um, uh, my French beans has a big string still attached to it. I have to remove the string one by one. I'm like, really? I'm spending that kind of money for a snobbish, arrogant places? I don't care if it's been raided. You know, I don't want to do this. You know, I'd rather having a dinner. Like Some of the best meal I had was uh, uh, Lock Creek's Inn in, uh, with Bad Logden. You know, that meal was out of the world. Um, you know... Uh, Aqua in San Francisco, best meal forever. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, you know, the food we cook at Patino, that just closed in Los Angeles. The food you find in the U.S. is so much vibrant and exciting. Wait, Patino closed? Yeah, they just closed last week. What? <clears throat> yeah, after 31 years. Yeah. I had no idea. He's such a wonderful man. Yeah, I know. I mean, I work with Jackim. You know, Jackim is the first one to give me a job when I moved to the U.S. He's the first oh. one. Yeah, oh, so wow. he's like my mentor. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I mean, you know, Patina was inside the uh, Walt Disney concert hall, no business. So I think right. it's a common accord. And I mean, LA, the, the food, the restaurant scene is devastated in Los Angeles. I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be the last one to close. There's going to be a lot of restaurants. Um, you know, look at restaurant 2020, the whole business model is not sustainable. So you had COVID-19 to it. Of course, it's going to be hard for a ton of people, you know. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. We talk about that every day. That's yeah. But Joaquim, is, he was here in Vegas. When they had, that's how I know him, yeah, 20 yeah. years. And always, always a pleasure to be with his, his staff. No, he's like, you, you know, in two days, I was reading somewhere in, uh, in Los Angeles today, a quarter of the chef 
you know, who are at the top, they all went through Joachim's kitchen, through Patina one point or another. Yeah. Oh, wow. So he's been, he's been yeah. mentoring so many people. Um, you know, he, he's not like Wolfgang Puck. He's not, you know, he's a very shy guy. He's not, yes. Yeah. But, you know, he has an empire of, I don't know, many restaurants. He's done well for himself. Yeah. He, I mean, some of his cooks are still with him 30 years later. I mean, he's, he's chief steward, you know, uh, dishwasher. Hector yeah. is still with him since day one. Wow. You know, yeah. He's, uh, yeah, he's in charge of all and, the guys. And, and, and Michael and Chef, tell me, let's just remind everybody, because the people who listen and share this time with us are in the industry. Let's mm-hmm. just remind everybody how rare and special that is. And when you were talking about the places that justify your position, that we have such great restaurants, you really were describing an all-star list of places. Uh, yeah, from Bradley's but, down to Joaquin. But it starts, so, we, it starts with the farmers, it starts with the winemakers, mm-hmm. the fishermen. And I think there is an appreciation here for that kind of trade that maybe did not exist in the past, but definitely the last 20, 25 years, you know. I mean, you know, I moved to the States and there are a lot of criticism in France. My family, my friends, the chef I work, you know, and because France believes are the center of the world in terms of cooking and winemaking or whatever. And, and it's very unfortunate to think that way because you don't progress. You get stuck in the past. And for me, you know, like with Joachim, you know, I, sh- I know I worked with Joachim in 88 and I was like 23 years old, mold some of the best kitchen in France, you know. And I thought I knew everything. And Joachim told me, he said, look, dude, you need to learn what people want here, what they mm-hmm. enjoy. And, you know, when he asked me, I remember the first dessert I have to do at Patina was to make uh, a, um, a corn creme brulee, <clears throat> you know. And oh, we wow. did a banana, a banana cream pie. Yeah. And if you do that kind of dessert in France, you get fired right away. <laughs> you know, yeah. but, you know, he made me understood that, you know, keep your French technique, embrace what you see around you, but get inspired by the pop culture of the U.S., by the, the tradition, by... You know, you, the wave of immigrants coming from left and right. Some of the best cooks I work were Latinos, Mexicans, Salvadorians from Guatemala, hardworking cooks. Of course, those guys make your restaurant a success because they're the yeah. one who does it every day. You know, no matter what, they show up and they do it. So, you know, right. it's, it's an equation where there is a lot of components and it, do, it works well in the States. It works very well. And he built a great and catering business with those oh, people. I mean, we used to do thousands of people and you learn, you learn, you know, sometimes I'm like, how would you even do it? Cooking, I remember we did an event, was 3,000 people. No, right, and it's in L.A., and you hear about Wolf, listen, I love Wolf King, if it wasn't for him, I may not even have the magazine. You know, yeah. the, you know, we know all my stories of how wonderful he was to me. But the reality was, Joaquim and Patina, I mean, Wolf King got the Oscars, but everybody else was getting, was going to Patina. I mean, it was yeah, I mean, we insane the amount of Insanity. Yeah. I mean, how many before, events? How many events a weekend would you guys do? If one was three thousand people, we you must have had ten more. Oh, it's like was nonstop. And, you know, we we were like, and you, you get to rush. You know, you don't even count the hours. You get so excited to do those dinner because you know, be, you know, before DoorDash, we were doing um, you know, before any food deliveries, we right. will do the Hollywood Bowl concerts. You know, that right. was a great team idea. So, Let's do some boxes for people to go for the concert. I remember that. I mean, we would work all night to prepare the orders. And it was good food. It wasn't like some kind of lousy sandwich. <clears throat> and we would do like three, four, five hundred of those orders every day. I mean, 
we will swear and but you know we we loved it you know we will do dinner for free i think our, our biggest one we did was the emmys we i think it was wow. three thousand people and i remember with no no system we just learned to do it on the spot but it has great people who organize everything mm-hmm. and uh, we never thought about failure for whatever reason it worked you know Joachim is a very structured very organized person and he make you understand very nicely, you know, you make it happen, so I don't want to hear excuses. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're here for a reason. So if, you don't, if you're not sure, don't stay, go work somewhere else, you know. But I learned a lot from Joachim. I learned, um, you know, it's, I think from, if I am who I am today because of him, the biggest nice. influence, definitely. I was able, lucky, able, while he was in Vegas a lot, I was able to spend time with him and Piero Savaggio at the same yeah. time. And so much to learn from those guys. You I mean, know, so, so much. Down to earth, generous, non greedy chefs. Um, sometimes it's difficult to meet and work for. <laughs> <laughs> and and yes. Jackie is a very generous man. He's helped a lot of people in the industry. Um, you know, non greedy, very down to earth, very generous. I mean, you know, I work with him 20 past years ago. And when I fly to LA, I still stay in his home. We have, you know, he loves my son. And, you know, and, and that's kind of. Person he is, he's very yes. down to earth, you know, and, and we, a lot of chefs love him for that matter. I want to take the point that you've made and then extend it just a little bit because one of the traditions in cooking mm-hmm. around the world is tradition is passed down through the chef generations. Yeah. And the way you were talking about all the roots of the tree uh, that they have the yes, patina. Mm-hmm. family tree yeah. uh, and and in different cities there are just very important generous chefs who give a city and a food culture those family roots mm-hmm. and it really does come from the way many of you were trained and looking back at the people who trained with the people who trained with Escoffier and all the great teachers that you had chefs many of whose names uh, most people won't know, but if you're in the industry, you'll have heard their names because they're legend. Mm-hmm. And we come to today. What do you, I'm going to ask you to draw upon the legends and the lessons of the great chefs in your life and career. And speak to the young people in the industry who are <coughs> displaced by the COVID who may be having to reimagine and reconsider what has happened in their immediate restaurant or their community. How do you think as a community, we can uh advise um, and mentor the young people in this and everybody, frankly, in this industry um, who needs to evaluate where we are and, and, and how can we mentor them at this moment to survive? So so I always believe, you know, so I, Take my example. I left school. I'm a product of foster care home in France. I never had my father. I left school when I was 15. So I have no degree, no education, nothing. <clears throat> Let's say I'm a product from the street. And But the kitchen world enabled me to do well. And I think it's one of the last fields with music, entertainment, where somebody with no training, no education, with no high school diploma, I don't even have an high school diploma, you can do great. Now, does, will everybody do well? No. <clears throat> you know, maybe one out of a thousand might succeed, become great. But I think it's a last field where 
you can do extremely well, make a good income, have a beautiful life without any education in the degrees. Um, but it's not going to be easy because the industry comes with a lot of problems, a lot of um, uh, skeleton in the closet. <clears throat> you know, racism is rampant in the food industry on every level. Yeah. Bigotry is not a welcome space for a lot of for women, for that matter. If you're a gay chef, it's not a welcoming space. Um, but it's changing for the better slowly. I think, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, the problem with the food industry today, it's still a white male dominated industry. And that comes with a lot of problems, obviously. Um, I'm not saying it should be non, but you know what I mean? You know, if you're invited somewhere, yeah. you're going to see the same guys. If you do an event, mm -hmm. you're gonna the, you know, and that has to change a little, you know. Um, you know, I, I do request now when I do interview, when I do, I'm invited, you know, I say, look, you know, could you please make sure, you know, in your future, I do some research too. If I see it's always the same kind of people invited, usually I, didn't, I, I say, no, I can't, I don't have, um, you know, time. But I think a lot of more chefs like me, you know, white, privileged person need to speak up and say, look, guys, <clears throat> I know the conversation can be a bit difficult sometimes and, you know, it's not a very... Let's do something for the others. You know, there is a lot of talent out there. There is a lot of women chefs, people of minorities, um, gay chefs. We need a voice. They need to be able to cook the same, with the same rights and the same opportunities that we had and we were given. And it's, you know, it has to move in the right direction. Like I said, diversity is very good for everybody. It's good for creativity. It's good for success. And if today as a chef you don't see it that way, I think you're doomed for failure. <clears throat> and, you know, that's the, that's the way things have to change. You know, if you're a woman, if you're a wrong woman, it's not easy in the kitchen. But I'd like to say it's not easy in a lot of industry either. Um, well, that's, but the, that's the thing, Chef. I, uh, I, and I, <coughs> listen, Sherry Yard has put yeah. herself out there. We love Sherry, right? Mm -hmm. We know what she's done with Wolfgang Puck. Susan, Mary Jo, like they've put themselves out there. But, but what people aren't seeing is the hard work, right? So we all have done hard work. You especially have done this hard work to get mm -hmm. to where you are, right? Now, I think we're about to emerge because we go to the kitchens, we go to the back of the house. There's a lot of women back there now. Very different yeah, from what it, it was. You know, you know I, my last job, so it takes me a resort. <clears throat> I go there and it's white guys, you know. Sure. And then I see one of the cook, a woman cook, very talented, probably one of the best cook I work with. Like she understood flavors, she made wonderful specials, and I told her, "I say you're my next sous chef. <laughs> you're moving to sous chef position." And she was afraid. She's like, "No, I mean, you don't need to worry about me. You're the boss." But I think it's you shape your mind this way because of experience, and you know, mm -hmm. because I work with chefs who opened me my mind. Uh, I had experience, you know. I cooked with Patrick Clark in the '90s, you know, a very famous black yeah. chef in the U.S. And yeah. Yeah. you know. So for me, I don't see, you know, for me, yeah, he deserves it. He, he deserves his space in New York. He deserves what, the success he had. Um, you know, it's very sad he passed away very young. But, right. you know, I want to work with chefs like this. I want to, you know, my first, my second, when I moved to New York, my chef was a woman. So I moved to New York in 94. For four years, my executive chef was Susan Weaver, a woman. You know, I've seen what she has to do to succeed. As a chef woman in New right. York, she took abuse from the staff. She took abuse from the customer and she took abuse from the management. But she made it and survived. And she said, well, you know, I have, the moment I give up 
one inch, I'm done, you know. And, you know, I, she gave opportunity to other chefs, you know, gay chef, woman chef. And the team was, we had a great team. And we did marvels in New York at the Four Seasons from 94 to 98. You know, she got a free star in New York Times. Um, but I, I saw what she had to do to succeed, you know, three times the work compared to an, a regular, an, an average chef. And that's sad. That doesn't have to be that way. And to tolerate horrific ex- experiences. Yeah, know? I mean, from... I mean, There's rumors from, from, from Vegas. You know, Vegas is changing now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, know who, yes. We know who. Head, we've, but, heard, we've all heard but, those I mean, horrible rumors. Yeah, but Bruno, yeah, but let's just talk about that period of time, 94 to yeah. 98, the Four Seasons. There are arguments to be made that that was singularly the height People like to talk about uh, when Joe Baum first opened the restaurant and how glorious it was. But I know people who suggest that that period when you were there may have been the zenith of its experience. It was, so it it was, was making the greatest art. It, I mean, it was really great. And, and I want to share with people that maybe didn't have the opportunity to go and dine there. It was not merely a restaurant. It was, it was truly magnificent. You know, it, it, it was the right timing, the right place, the right time. Uh, you know, be- beautiful architecture designed by Ayn Pei, the yeah, famous American architect. Uh, the building itself, it's stunning. Um, you know, it's 52 floors. It was the highest hotel in New York at that time. <clears throat> and then the economy was bouncing back, which means a lot of money flowing into New York. Uh, so the room rates within six months from $250 a night to $1,000 a night to a wedding list. <clears throat> the GM will pick the GM will pick who will stay tonight at the hotel, technically. And then the restaurant from an average restaurant became, after three stars, the hardest place to eat in New York. The bar was packed. They had bouncers at the bar, yeah. you know, something you never heard before in New York, um, you know. And, yeah, it was a perfect storm in many ways to have, uh, I think, Suzanne, another chef at the Royalton, were the only two successful female chefs in New York at that time, uh, you know. So, you know, Yes, and they they enable more sh- women chefs to do well to build it into themselves. You know what's important? It's people's story. Everybody has a story to contribute to the universe of my world, with yeah. being the, the kitchen world. And we need to hear those voices. We need to have more of those stories. And if the story is always the same, slowly the you know the narrative died and become boring. And um, you know it is better for a lot of people. But, you know, we need to still to address a lot of issues in the industry and push up. You know, it's not comfortable even for me as a chef. You know, I'm sure I have some, you know, the way I was acting 25 years ago, I was a total asshole to a lot of people in the kitchen. I'm not today because I understood hurting people feeling it's not the right thing to do, you know. But empowering people makes your food better. You know, I don't, you know, my restaurant, like I'm working on a new project in Richmond. It's been delayed, but hopefully we're going to open by January. It's everybody's involved in the design, everybody's involved on the menus because that's the way it is today. You know, Richmond, the, in Richmond, Virginia? Have, no, Richmond, uh, BC, next to yeah. Vancouver. Oh, oh, okay. I was thinking JC <laughs> was in Richmond, Virginia. No, no. You know, I've been, I've been in Canada for a while. You know, I mean, my, my next project is going to be uh, the TV show takes two months of my, my year already. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm leaving for Toronto in a few weeks to shoot season four. Um, Richmond will get me busy. You know, I'd like to do something in the States again because, you know, it's, it's, it's a vibrant, exciting where and how, I don't know. I'm not, I think I'm too old for New York. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're working on a small project for a, a U.S. 
television. So we hope, you know, we we're going to present the pilot in a few weeks. We hope to be picked up. So we we, we see how it's going to be. But, um, you know, like I said, I don't worry <clears throat> because I'm able to live and in both places. So I'm, I'm quite lucky for that. That's one. wonderful. <clears throat> Chef, will you, before we let you go, and you can't just mm -hmm. drop a, because we should remind everybody, if you haven't been to, people go to Vancouver and sometimes they just stay in the downtown and they no, think it's don't the most the delicious downtown. place in the world. And <coughs> go to, it is. Go to Richmond. But, go to Richmond. but even, even the rings, that's what I tell people. I said, you've got to go. No, what is it? What is it, Chinatown? No. <coughs> there is more globally, the global high standard is alive and well in Richmond, B.C. Yeah, it's a, it's a becoming, you know, I had the, my best croissant I had the last couple of years was in Richmond from a small Chinese-run bakery I went there and they had some interesting product and I tried a butter croissants and I couldn't believe how tasty it was. You That's know? beautiful. I was like... That's fantastic. I, yeah. You now, know, is, you, it, is, it going to, is it going to be a type of cuisine or is it going to be a type <coughs> of uh, pastry world experience? Or, no, it's going to be... Uh, and, you know, we, we, you know I'm, I'm against uh, concept. I think concept are over, overworked and overbrained. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, it's going to be seasonal, ethical um local so we call it uh west coast wandering um you know we don't want to limit the amount of product but you know definitely seasonal ethical the way we source a product and seasonal because we don't want berries in winter time and then if there is something coming from the asia market or from uh, south america why not but um yep. you know we have to speak and support i think more than ever the local farmers, the local fishermen. Yeah. So you're not going to find fish coming from Europe or Asia, all local seafood. And we have plenty of great products. We need to go far for that. And, well, and, uh, and, but, we, you know, and we didn't have our BC Seafood Festival this year because of COVID. No. And then, of course, we, we, we before we let you go, we're gonna, we lost Nathan Fong. Chef Nathan Fong was not only one of the official chefs of the British Columbia government uh, and did a lot of of work with BC Seafood, representing BC Seafood all over the world, but he was the person who pulled us all together for the BC Seafood Festival every summer, and it's one of the highlights of the year, and more of the great seafood that gets exported from Canada actually comes from Vancouver Island, from from um, Courtney Comox area, mm -hmm. from Fanny Bay. The Fanny Bay oysters made a, a splash around the world. Let's just talk a little bit about our friend Nathan, uh, because we lost him a couple of months ago. Uh, tragically, far too young, um, and uh, I, I know think, he was very involved. I mean, I, I think it's, it's still a shock for a lot of people, a lot of chefs, definitely. I think he was yeah. everybody's friends. I mean, he knew people like, you know, I I thought I knew a lot of people in the states, you know, cooking world, and he knew as many. And we have, you know, I mean, I wasn't at his wedding, but when I saw the list of people at his wedding, it's like, I know all those people, <clears throat> you know, and so. You know, I always look at him like as a little guy who made it, who made the world his own world, you know, who was very successful, very nice, very down to earth. And, you know, he really made it big for himself. And I think he, he brought Vancouver into the, you know, the world of let's be serious about food in Vancouver. Um, you know, I think sometimes Vancouver is a problem. It's we want we try to too hard to be like San Francisco or like New York, you know. I mean, I'm like we are not. <clears throat> Let's be real, you know. But I think Nathan brought a, a form of, you know, we can be and we have what it takes to be there. But you know, let's be realistic. It's Vancouver, and I think he's done a lot for a lot of chefs. 
And, you know, even some morning I wake up and, you know, on my phone, I still have his last message a few days before I passed away asking me about my cookbook. And not long ago, I was going for my text and I'm like, oh, I need to answer him. And so for, for one second, I'm like, no, he passed away, you know. So it's unreal. I still cannot believe it happened, you know. And, um, yeah, it's very sad, very, you know, makes you cherish life because you're like, yeah, I spoke to him, I think, five days before. He was asking yeah. me to get one of my cookbook, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's get together. And then he was gone. I'm like, fuck, you know, it's unreal, unreal. Yeah. You know, and he, was, and he was a very good chef. He was a yeah. very good chef. He was a talented, and he really knew how to integrate the flavors of the places that touched his heart. You know, and he's he was, the only one, you know, because he, he's, he's done a lot of food critics too. So I remember he came to it, and my last place, and you know, I was a bit nervous because I know he knows about food. But he was, he brought some very good point about my pizza. You know, he said, yeah. you know, make it a bit thinner, cook it a bit longer, and but he said it in a way that was very nurturing. You know, uh, a lot of chefs don't like critics. <clears throat> you know that, <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was a gentleman, a gentle, a gentle heart, a gentleman, and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's 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 sad, very sad. Well, we're going to have to make a uh, pilgrimage to the kanji noodle house together the next yeah, time please. we have a few yeah. minutes. Yeah, please. Uh, next time you're and, in Vancouver. Uh, I hope that, well, I'm going to be home soon. I, I, I'm just waiting for uh, some paperwork. But I want to make sure that, um, that uh, people know that, that uh, we're going we're gonna to work very hard to make sure that we have the BC Seafood Festival again uh, next year. And that mm -hmm. we hope that when the bans and COVID are lifted, we'll all be able to get together and, and, and make tributes to our friend with the foods that he gave us and the flavors that he loved. Uh, can you tell us when you are going into production and when we're going to see the next season and what are you going to bring to the new season of the Great <coughs> Canadian Baking Show? Um, so we're starting to shoot in three weeks. So I'll be in Toronto for, uh, uh, for uh, seven weeks. Uh, I'll be back in October 15th in, in Vancouver. So once I'm there, you know, we, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of work. <clears throat> it's, um, we are 14 hours a day on set. It's, uh, it's not easy. <clears throat> you know, it's the best job on, a, on, in the world for me, definitely, but it's a lot of work. Um, do, do they you know, have good craft, how are the craft services? Do they have a good, do they feed you well while you're there? Um, well, this year's going to be different. All, yesterday was... Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, yesterday I was doing a small gig on a TV show being produced in Vancouver. And it's, it's, it's different. It's going to be yeah. different. There is no more this kind of camaraderie, people hanging around. It's all, you know, yeah. they create bubbles. So everybody oh, you cannot go wow. to that bubble. And crafties, you know, I love crafties because it's yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, you go there and you ask. You don't pick what yeah, you want. Right. You need to ask for everything. So uh, yeah. it's going to be different. <clears throat> um, we don't know the baker. So the good part, I only discover, I meet the baker the day before. Until wow. then, I have no idea who they are. You know, it's just to create a very neutral, non-biased environment. Um, because no matter how uh, hard you work, you know, you do have bias against a few things. So we meet them a day before. And then, um, you know, it's a lot of preparation for me to be sure I have the right narrative that I know what I'm talking about. We have uh, a lot of work between the two judges. So we do... You know, we want to be sure we don't overstep on each other. We contribute to each other. So it's a lot of training off camera. Um, you know, you want to be sure you don't repeat yourself nonstop because it's so easy, <clears throat> you know. 
so it's it's is it on Netflix? Is it on Amazon? So now it's so it's a CBC show. Uh, and then for the last six months, it's been on Netflix Canada, okay. on Amazon Prime, yeah, and okay. and then I think it's going to be in a, it's in Australia now and on Netflix Australia, it's yep. on Netflix. So slowly it's being picked up by other places. You know, we hope to be in a state. It is in a state in a lot of um, northern part, like you know, Minnesota, Washington State, Oregon. Right. From local company carries CBC, so yep. you can see sure. it. Uh, but you know the key is to be on Netflix. <clears throat> yeah, we'll go to Netflix and we'll. Yeah, I mean we'll, have to, we'll binge, and, Jennifer. And, and, that's and, our new binge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I've, I've I've been binging all along because I you know I live up in Vancouver. But um, chef, I, I just want to tell you, you know, many years ago I was a, a judge at the National Pie Championships in Celebration, Florida, mm-hmm. and it was a two day judging, and I was in the nut pie category, and people think it sounds. Like it's the best job in the world. But when we had 63 bites of nut pie in an afternoon, it's very difficult to tell people how grueling this is. Will you tell us your experience of how grueling it is? So the the hardest part is to remember what you say. So we have people who take notes. So everything what I say there is not taken. So I can go back and say, okay. Because it's, you know, we judge only 10 the first episode, yeah. but it's so easy to forget what you say about the first one. So we take a lot of notes. Uh, there is no taker on the backstage that, you know, you can go back and say, what did I say about that one? We take a lot of photos to have visual uh, cues. And then we um, we decide, you know, from the best to the worst, you know, just between me and the um, and the other judge, what's unique, what's not unique, uh, what was the, uh, what can they do better? what I like, what she likes, because sometimes people like, you know, like, I don't like chocolate and raspberry. That's, yeah, <laughs> I, don't oh, wow. yeah I don't like it. It's just personal. But if somebody does it, I'm not going to be against that. So you, we want to be sure judging is very neutral. And if the chocolate mousse is done yeah. properly and the raspberry is, you know, then there is no reason not to, not to say it's a great dessert. Personally, I don't like it. I well, don't understand that, <clears throat> you know. But that's just me. You so know you don't it's want very to... American. It's very yeah. American. I know, I know. But you don't want to put your own uh, what you like into that. So you you try to be as neutral as possible, and then you look at the technical part. Is it baked properly? Is the dough too thin, too thick? Uh, is the ratio it's perfect? Is it too moist, too heavy, too gummy? So we take all those notes. We have a lot of um, you know box to check, and then we we give them you know okay that one should be first. This one second. Um, but you know, after you know, you know, when you work fourteen hours on the set and it's you have twelve hours under your belt and you have to do a tasting of cakes. Yeah, yeah, How you're like, I want to go very home. Real. Yeah, you know, and you want to keep the energy too. You know, your uh, your shoot at nine a.m. You have a lot of energies at six p.m. Your energy, it's, so you want to keep up. This, you know, every every baker deserves the same energy in their presentation. The same energy yeah. in the testing and the judging. So we we work. There is a lot of technical you do in training with actors that teach you how to breathe properly. But you know you want your brain to be running properly to create a good narrative about. So it, it, it's hard. I enjoy it. I love it. Uh, I learn a lot myself how to become a better person for that matter. You know, I mean, if you see season one, I struggle every day on it on the show. Season three, I. I was I was cruising. So season four, I'm sure it's going to be way way better. So now the contestants you know, are going to watch things... this, and they're going to say, "I was going to make my chocolate raspberry tart, <clears throat> but I've decided not." No, I, to I, I, think, 
I, I think I mentioned a few of those in the episode from season one or two. So I'm sure the bakers go through the three seasons, do a lot of research. Uh, you, you still see it, you know, and I always yeah. say, you know, I'm not going to use it against you. I think it's, it's well done. But, you know, and that's the thing as a judge. You don't put your own personal opinion right. into right. it. You want, and I was telling other people, you know, you don't want to put, um, you know, um, you know, I have great desserts with Indian spice. And I'm like, wow, you know, it yeah. blow, blow my mind away. And I loved it. And uh, you become hooked to this kind of experience, you know, and that's very valuable. <clears throat> One of the things in the many judging... Yeah, the what? Go ahead, Jen. Yeah. What I was saying was um, in the many judging things that I've done in my career, one of the phenomenon that is holds true, it's like a law, uh, the thing that ends up winning almost always defines itself and says, here I am. Some, almost always the best thing declares itself. And, and oftentimes it's very clear. Is it the case when you have so many bakers or is it, is, is it the judging rule of thumb where the best really says this is clearly the best? I think they have to put a good narrative. Why? <clears throat> you know, um, I think there is no bad or good desserts unless you screw up. It's just the way you introduce yeah. and you tell me the story behind. Uh, could be a family recipes, could be, you know, uh, obviously if you use lard or butter, it has a different perception. Butter, you know, butter carries flavor like nothing else. And I always encourage yeah. use yeah. more butter because it does support flavors like nothing else. You cannot get that with, with shortening yeah. or lard. You know, it doesn't work the same way. And lard is only good for crispiness for a certain dose, but not, you know. French fries and French yeah, fries. Yeah, you know, for, um, you know, I would say don't use salted butter because, you know, you don't control your saltiness. So I think it's, you know, there is this, people say, you know, you, you have to cook with love to be good. I don't believe into that, but if you, you have to trust yourself. You know, there is no good bread or bad bread. You know, it's like I teach classes for bread sometimes and people are like so, freaky about bread i'm like look it's just fucking bread flour water <laughs> yeast and it's simple it's not that complicated no if you're going to make a you know i always say to the bakers <clears throat> we do give them speech if you if you're going to make me a french baguette and if it doesn't work the way you want if it doesn't look the french baguette i don't know just tell me it's an italian country uh, <laughs> bread you know make it twisted put more flour put some herbs and you say it's a baguette rustica de tuscany that's the way I think you have to do with food, you know. If it's not what you want, then reinvent it in, in another way. And that's a way of, that's the history of food, <clears throat> you know. Through, yeah. through centuries, you know, people don't make cured ham for the pleasure of eating cured ham. It's the only way to keep meat through, right. through yeah. ages. People don't make jam because they love making jam. It's because a few hundred years ago was the only way to keep your fruit for the winter. You know, so there is a reason, a reason behind everything. Pickled food, cured food, it's just, that's the only way we, we could keep food in the past. So every food before has a story. We, before, <laughs> before we let you go, what are you craving right now? Um, sunshine. <laughs> it's, it's, it's only, yeah. it's, so it's what, 55 degrees Fahrenheit, 70 Celsius today in Vancouver. You know, I was hoping for some sunshine this morning well, to go bike. But I'm leaving for Tofino tomorrow, so it should be a bit nicer. And, and nice. um, but uh, yeah, I miss you know. Surfing. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, <clears throat> let me. I mean, I love Tofino. It's great for surfing. But this is not Santa Cruz, California. This is not Long Beach, California. Yeah. Uh, it's it's little waves. Okay, it's uh, teeny waves. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot well, of thank hype. You. 
Thank you, Chef, for joining us today. Thank, Thank you for having me. It was nice to chat with you, and I hope we can do it again soon. We will. Okay. We'll do it in person. Right. Season four of the Great Canadian Baking Show is coming up soon with our good friend, Chef Bruno Felderson. Isn't he amazing? I just have one thing to say. That's for you. What is that? It's a macadamia nut pie. Now that's I a, know. That's a nut pie. Oh. I would like anything. I a nut, any, any nut pie is all you. You're all nut pie. Nut pie. You sure they weren't just calling you a nut pie? <laughs> you know what's Wait, so funny, chef, though? He's absolutely... Chef's backstage and he's trying to keep, chime in. I'm not going to let him. What? What's so funny? Listen, he's got great stories. He, I could spend hours absolutely... with him. absolutely... Oh! Oh, my God. There goes Jennifer. Oh my gosh. He's absolutely well, during... right, though. Jen, at least we know that during quarantine, quarantine, you're wearing you're wearing pants during quarantine. We just we just found that out. Uh, yes, I am wearing pants. But Thank but you. one of the things I think is imperative to point out, if if the if if I taste a hundred pies at the pie championships, and only one of them is a perfect pie, and it's a cherry pie, and I don't care for cherry pie, but when the best is unmistakably the best in everything, you have to recognize yep. and respect that it's the best. And it's not about your taste. And I will say, you know, Michelle and Nathan's wedding cake, can you guess what flavor it was? Chocolate raspberry. It was the best wedding cake I've ever had. In but my now we know why life. Chef Bruno but, wasn't invited. Because they, they said, I want a chocolate raspberry cake. <laughs> no, and don't, and don't tell Rose Levy Berenbaum, but I'm telling you, this was the singularly best wedding cake I've ever had in my, it was the best cake I've ever had in my entire life. Well, the, my favorite cake is a piece of you. And spending this day with you was a treat, treat, treat. So next week, OMG, we've got somebody coming on. Big. A superstar. Big, big, big. big. He's a superstar. He's big. He's, he's big. If you, were in the, if you were alive in the 90s, he was big. And then still. No, right? He wasn't just big. And he wasn't just famous. He was really one of the first. He was... Tony Robbins coaching inspiring. Oh, are we going to say his name or are we going to wait? I think we're going to tease it a little bit more. And then next week, you know, we have Chris Latito from Latito Foods. I can't wait. He's on the cover of my magazine this month. Oh, have I'm we shown the magazine yet? No, we haven't, but I'm trying to get a picture of, of our uh, fantastic new guest. I can't do everything at once, Jen. Hold on. Let me get to the magazine. Where is that? Here is today's. Oh, come on, we got Prime. Who is he? Look at this. We're getting we're getting messages. Who is he? Who is he? All right, hold on. Hold on. I'm getting there. Are we? Here's here's well, today's mag. Here's the magazine that came out. What do you think? There of that? it is. All right, I'm gonna give a tease on this guy that's coming next week. I don't like to brag about my celebrity friends that much, but today I will. Do you mind if I brag a little bit? Let me get this thing up. I wish Are you, you ready, would. Jen. Yeah. You ready? Who's coming? Look at this. Look at this. Monday. Oh. Monday. Can you believe this? Body by Jay. We're going to look. I'm going to get all of my chef buddies on. A little chubbos. We're all going to get on this. We're going to get Jay. We're going to have Jay set us up with a program. Could he, could, he, could he get you back to that fantastic form that made you famous when you were the uh, Las Vegas contributor and correspondent for... Uh, you know who? Can I can I tell you a story? Yeah, I was I look better now than I did then for extra. But let me tell you. In some ways, you H. do actually. 
You know what? Because you were happy. You're very happy now. I'm happy. Let me tell you a story. Remember, we just had Bruno tell us about how he went for an audition and there were these young, strapping, right. all the guys look like Dolph Lundgren with their blonde hair and their blue right. eyes for the show, right? Right. So right. The, the Food Network, and I wanted to tell Bruno on, but I didn't want to steal his thunder, right? So you ready for that? He's going to love it. Hopefully he's watching. I go to, I fly, Food Network, Michael, we're flying to New York. We're doing you a show. They put me up in Brooklyn. It was a little smelly, but it's okay. So I get to walk into the place where we're doing our test, right? So I'm, I go to walk in. I'm like, I'm going to get there a little early and then I'm going to, you know, get myself organized. And, and, then, and, this, and this is at, and this is at Food it, Network Studios in Chelsea. No, no, no. They had a set already set up. I was at the set. I was on, I was locked. It was like wow. an old restaurant. Oh. So I go, I'm going to get there early and look like I really care. And I'll get the gig and I'll have a show and whatever. So I get there a little bit early, Jennifer. And the guy before me is in the middle of doing his interview and his his audition. You want to know who? Let me just put his picture up. I think it's even more fun if I put his picture up. I know we don't like to talk about him a lot, but it's really funny. So he's there before me getting ready. I could do a mugshot, which would be amazing if I did. Um before me doing his audition. And of course he's super charming, super handsome. Everybody loves this guy. One of the most beautiful chefs in the world, right? I don't know his food. I do love his restaurants. I'm not going to lie, but I'm going to show you this. I'm getting ready to put it up. I'm walking in. I'm feeling chubby. I'm like, Oh my God. And there he is. And there he is. My, Todd co English. Okay? my cousin. And there he is. Todd English is doing his audition before me. You want to talk about, oh, my God, a moment of, like, deflating you? I think it'll be in my next book. I'm going to write about it in my next book. Because it was the funniest but, but thing. But he, he didn't do anything to deflate you because he's a hell of a good guy. Well, no, he didn't say anything. He just looks like that. What, you, what am I going to walk in? It's like Superman. Like, hello. Oh, hi, Todd. <laughs> he does look like Hi. I just God. had meatballs at the meatball place last night. What would you have? Carrots and celery? You know what I'm saying? But, but you know, the beautiful part is he, 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 he didn't he, get the job. He does look like Superman in the room. I mean, he didn't get the job, and I didn't get, nobody got the job because they ended up not doing the show. But look, I'm walking in, and there he is. Look at him. So, so what you're telling me is there are a bunch of producers in a room, and they're like, they're looking at the Pulitz picture, and they're looking at the Superman picture, and they're like, Pulitz, Superman, Pulitz. So no, I thought to myself, I must be damn handsome. I must be more handsome. I must have visual. I, I love that for you. Because That's if they said good. to me, we're going to put him and he's in Todd English. Wow. Now, I just hope they weren't like going on personality and they were thinking that I had one like Todd. No offense. Not taken. Can I just tell you? Wow. That's not for the, the same gig. What's that? No. So what what was Jennifer? Never gonna. All right, it's so like we love we love you, Chef Bruno. I Can we get like, Chef Bruno? Like you and Giada on the same show is perfect. Can we say we love Chef Bruno one more time? We love him. We Jennifer love Chef Bruno. I'll see you next week. I'll see you next week with Body by Jay. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something stuff. down. I'm gonna throw something down. When the Great Canadian Baking Show mm -hmm. launches, mm -hmm. I want to have uh, a viewing party. So we can okay, all watch fine. online together. We do that. Perfect. Sounds delicious. And you know who else is delicious? Jennifer English. Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur, 
or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must read, The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Books a Million, or wherever fine books are sold. Need a push getting your spirits, wine, or beverage brand into the hands of consumers? Interested in winning medals like a double gold award? Proof Awards 2020, the ultimate beverage competition, can help jumpstart your brand into the hands of beverage buyers. Enter the Proof Awards. Be a part of the Proof Awards marketing campaign with our partner, Food and Beverage Magazine. All of our judges are buyers, and that's what sets our awards program apart from the others. Our judges head the beverage programs for restaurants, bars, nightclubs, casinos, liquor stores, big box retail, and national wine and spirits distributors. Your brand will be tasted by buyers from more than 15 states across the U.S. We have hundreds of categories to choose from at www.proofawards.com. Be seen by 12 million readers with our partner, Food and Beverage Magazine. Get tasted and rated by buyers. The 2020 Proof Awards competition is open for spirits, wine, and beverage brands today. Proof Awards 2020, moving brands into the marketplace. www.proofawards.com. 